So after my ordination, I spent a bit of time working down in Naples, and uh, near Naples, further south between Naples and, and Sorrento, a place called Castellamare. And uh, it was very, very interesting, very, very different mentality and culture, and lots and lots and lots of people, lots of noise. They have a population density there the same as Hong Kong. There are just people and scooters everywhere. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, but I remember on one occasion, after one of the masses that we did in the evening, <coughs> this lady came to me. Um, she had been coming regularly to the, to the, to the masses the, for the mission, uh, but she somewhat reluctantly, well, she dragged along her husband. He came reluctantly. So he was kind of standing behind her with the arms folded. And so she, she was dragging him over to me, right? And so she says, tell him, tell him, tell him. And he said, I said, Sidilla, Pagano, pagan. I just called him a pagan in front of me. All right. And I said, um, Is there something you'd like to say? Is everything okay? Then she answered, uh, He'd like to go to confession. And I said, Right. And then I looked at him, Would you like to go to confession? And he said, I said, Maybe it might be better if just the two of us talk, I think, just because she was like, You should poking him and pushing him and. The whole lot. So I just took him aside and I said, I said, do you want to go to confession? He said, hey, Father, there's no, no need. And I said, why, why is there no need? He said, Father, you don't understand. Father, I went to confession to Padre Pio. <laughs> and I said, I said, my friend, Padre Pio died in 1968. <laughs> okay? This was, what, two, four six years ago, so 2000, 2015, 2014. I said, he died in 1960. And he said, eh, Padre Pio. And I said, no, no, I, I understand who he is, right? Just his absolution and the absolution of any other priest is the absolution of Christ anyway. So just because you went to him doesn't mean you don't have to go to confession to anybody else. This helped me understand why Padre Pio at times had to ease the head off people in confession because they would come to him with stupid things like that. And so the only way, like people, the testadura, the hardheads, the only way that they'd understand is if Padre Pio, sometimes he had to send people out of the confessional, say, you are not sorry, get out. And then they come back the following day going, sorry, Padre, Padre, sorry. And then, they, then the following day they'd, they'd confess well. So often he had to be really, really clear with people because they were so right, stuck in their ways or not open to, to grace or whatever. Padre Pio had a very, very interesting, interesting mission and a very interesting effect on people. Uh, because, like, if you were into marketing or business or whatever, what Padre Pio did and his success don't make, don't make sense at all. Padre Pio never left the, that general area of Foggia. Never. He shouldn't be known anywhere. Right? But he was. He was. Um, around the time of the war as well, uh, a lot of American soldiers would have, would have heard about this um, miracle worker and would have gone to see him. <clears throat> they would have been based in places uh, around there, up as far as, uh, as Rome, up as far as Anzio. And they would have um, gone to, 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 maybe out of, maybe for entertainment, or possibly. But he was known, he was famous. And yet, <coughs> his whole life, for him, was just himself and the Lord. And he was gifted with all sorts of, of charisms. Uh, everything from, by location, reading souls, um, casting out demons out of people. Uh, healing, then even 
kind of healing odors emanating from his stigmata, the first uh, stigmatized priest in history. There you go. I mean, it's a pretty amazing. Like, but in all of this, like, all, in all of this, his heart was just for the Lord. Like, if, where I'm from in, in Thurles, there's a, a place near us called Holy Cross, and they used to have, I think they still do, um, have a, a Padre Pio weekend in Holy Cross in Ireland, where Padre Pio never visited, ever, and died in 1968. You know, why do we have a weekend for him there? It's great, though. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's very interesting, like because it, it, this shouldn't work. <laughs> this shouldn't be the case. Surely, if you want to have kind of a worldwide influence, you have to tour and you have to have a good Facebook page and you have to post content every day. No, no, you don't. And he actually said during his life, <clears throat> people and people were coming to to see him from all over. But he said, "I will do much, much more from heaven." So rather than comparing, you know, thinking of everything we do here on earth, I will do much, much more for you from heaven. You know, and he was, he was accused of all sorts of things. He was, um, he was accused of uh, interfering physically with one of his spiritual children, which is complete rubbish. Like, um, he was forbidden from celebrating mass in public for years. You know, they, they thought this was all attention-seeking. So he humbly obeyed, <clears throat> was proven right in the end, but humbly obeyed what he, what he was asked to do. He would get up every morning at half two. So we're going to do that from now on here. I think it's, <laughs> we don't just read about the saints, we want to imitate them. So he'd get up at half two and spend a couple of hours in preparation for mass. Mass would be at half five. Then mass from half five, mass would take hours. So this is before the council, obviously, 1960. Uh, yeah. Most of it was before the council. Uh, so that's what it would have been in Latin. And uh, he would always celebrate Mass. He obviously, not allowed to celebrate Mass with gloves on. So he'd have his, his mittens taken off, and he'd usually put his uh, vestments like this then, so you couldn't see his hands. So he'd celebrate Mass then with his hands covered, because he didn't want people seeing the stigmata. Um, <clears throat> so, and it would take hours, generally because he would get so lost in prayer at certain parts of the Mass that he could be in that moment, in that sentence, for 10, 15, 20 minutes. You know, the elevation of the host. You could just say stuck there. Well, that's in, in, in prayer, you know. In, and <coughs> such was the man's heart. And then after Mass, he'd hear confessions all day. His day was about 19 hours from Mass uh, and, and confessions. And then he'd go to bed, get about two or three hours sleep. Up again, I have to, and away we go. Just really superhuman everything. Superhuman endurance. Uh, he ate about three to 400 calories a day, which is about one rice cake, I think. Uh, it's practically nothing. Might as well lick a leaf of lettuce like it's any. I remember once uh, reading a story that a journalist, a journalist came to interview him. So uh, the journalist was talking to him in the cloister, the kind of square area in the center uh, of the monastery. And Padre Pio sat down on the wall and proceeded to reach behind him and pull out a bottle of beer. And the journalist was like, Padre Pio drinks beer. You know, and then like his whole <clears throat> image of the saint started to crumble, right? So he spoke to him about different things and the crowds coming and what he thought of it. And, and uh, then they were building a hospital, so how all that was going and everything. And then uh, Padre Pio took a little drink and then offered the journalist some. The journalist said, 
rude to say no, I suppose. So he took a drink of it. And the beer was completely flat and very, very warm. Because Father Pierre came out and took one drink of it a day. And otherwise it was left out there. So it was actually torture to drink it. So he's still a saint. So, but like, it just, I was, oh, it was, I, that story sticks in my mind because it was just interesting how, I guess, how we see, how we think, how we think saints are and how they are in reality. Like, uh, they say, and at times, Padre Pio had to be kind of streng, uh, had to be severe with, somewhat clear with people. Uh, but they, they said <coughs> it was always worth getting reprimanded by Padre Pio for the hug you'd receive afterwards. You know, like he knew how to be, uh, he knew how to win a heart, you know, and at times, at times, and there's something I learned as well, I, I'd never, I'd never have allowed myself to do this kind of thing before, but when, when, when I was working down in Naples, at times I had to be really, really clear with people, and just really tell them off, which you would never do in Ireland, because people would never forgive you, uh, they'd never forget, and they tell everyone, uh, whereas down there, it's just completely normal, if someone blows the horn at you here in Ireland, like you go home thinking, asking your family, am, am I a bad person? <laughs> just someone, someone, Someone blew the horn at me. I just, I just, just. Whereas there, it's just, you just, you know, rather than change gear, you just blow the horn. Like it's just completely normal. Uh, so like, the, you, you, you can talk to people in that way, and, and, and they don't mind. That they, they're kind of used to it. Father Pio loved people. He loved them. And he had a profound understanding of the sense of suffering. A profound understanding of the sense of suffering and offering. Uh, often when he would have a particularly bad day or a bad night, uh, he would have been visited by um, demonic uh, influences and in the form of, of dogs or whatever, or even demons who would physically beat him. And on those nights, uh, when something, as I say, particularly difficult would happen, he knew that the following day was going, to, was going to be a day of great grace. So then somebody would come to him, maybe who was a communist politician or <clears throat> someone very, very far from God who then turned around and came back. You know, so, so in everything, good and bad, Padre Pio saw the, the hand of God. In his whole life, he lived a profound spirit of prayer, even from his very earliest years, they say from the age of five, he had a profound relationship with Jesus and Mary and his guardian angel and kind of presumed everybody else could see them. You mean, you don't, you don't see Jesus, what? He just had this living daily relationship with them, like kind of presumed everyone else did as well. So he, when he entered the monastery, he was noted for his silence, not for his like, you know, vast wisdom and orational skills, but for his silence and his prayer. Again, in human terms, this shouldn't work. You shouldn't be so famous and influential the world over and be silent and hidden. It just, but this is the, the Lord's way. So we ask the good Lord today to renew us in our own prayer lives. That as we Spend, we get to spend time here in the chapel, we get to spend time here in adoration, we get to spend time here at Mass, that in all of these things our, our hearts may ever more so be united with everything that's truly happening here. At a Mass, you have Jesus who is the priest, Jesus who is the sacrifice, Jesus who is the altar. 
we receive Jesus into our own hearts. We become living tabernacles and we're charged with this responsibility to carry the light of the Lord out into the world and to live our day in prayer, doing everything we do out of love for him. That's, that's, that's our calling. That's a prefiguration of heaven, to do everything out of love for God. So we pray that, that we can do that. We pray that we won't miss an opportunity to love God in all that we do. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>